Welcome, you guys. Can somebody turn on the lights? Ruthann, do you mind popping? Oh, look at that. There we go. Ah, hello. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here with you. So we're going to keep going. Uh, Pastor Clint mentioned last week we talked about critical people. The week before we talked about controlling people. And these are all going to be people that we despise. We were going to say how to love people you hate, but hate felt like a really strong word. So we uh, changed it to despise. Um, But next week we're going to be talking about hypocritical people. So do we have the obligation as Christ followers to speak into that? Or do we even have the right to do that? We're going to be talking about that next week. My glasses are so dirty that I can't see through them. So I'm going to teach without them on. Do what? No, I mean, I can see. I'm fine. I can see. I'm kind of, my right eye is like, what's going on? Um, But today we're talking about needy people. And when I say needy people, I'm not talking, uh, I'm talking about the people that when you talk with them, you know that like, you're probably going to hear the same story over and over again. They like to be the victim a lot. They, um, the the bad things that happen aren't their fault, but they're going to make sure you tell them, like they tell you about it. Um... It's, there's normally one in every group, like every family probably has a needy person. Your workplace probably has a needy person. Uh, maybe your small group had a needy person, but listen, our church is too small to be pointing fingers. So like, just keep that to yourself. Um, but really there's one in every group. Uh, I, we need to figure out how to deal with these people because the fact is they're going to be there. You're going to have somebody around you who needs a little bit more. And a lot of times these needy people are people who no matter what you give, if you give them your time, if you give them your energy, if you give them that money, if you give them what they're asking for, it's not enough. They're still going to be wanting more. And so how do we as Christ followers deal with that? Because a lot of times like we want to help these people. We want to love them. We want to show them the love of Christ. But then like when they reject what we're doing, it's like, well then, okay, I'll, I'll pull back. But then you feel guilty. And it's like, we have to figure out how to deal with them because the fact is it's going to happen. It could be a relative who was like alone all the time. And they're like, oh, I'm just really lonely. I would love somebody to come eat at my house every other day and just spend all of their time with me. That would be so great. Or maybe it is somebody in your small group who like they just don't really have a lot of friends and so they cling to you and you're like, oh man, I've got like things to do. Um, Or maybe it's that person at work that always just needs a little bit of money. Like, hey, can you just spot me 20 bucks here? Like, oh man, you know, I need gas and I'm out of money. Like, can you help me there? Um, Or maybe it's your coworker who's always like kind of fishing for compliments. Like they're looking to you, they're needy in like an affirmation sense. They wanna know that they're doing a good job. They want to know that like you approve of them and that they are fitting in. Or it could just be like your hot mess struggle bus friends, which if that's the case, like that's me and I don't need judgment. Like that's the, the room that I, that's the space that I live in. Um, but like I said, it's complicated because how do we help them without hurting them or hurting ourselves? Because if we're not careful and we help in the wrong way, we will end up hurting them or hurting ourselves. So today we're going to look at three big thoughts about how we as Christ followers can help people who are needy. So the first one, the first thought is that when we give, we're going to give strategically. So a lot of times, whenever we give to people, we're giving emotionally. Like we are, we're seeing a need. We're going, I can meet that need. Here it is. Bam, I'm done. But that isn't always actually helping people. Um, That's what's like quickest or easiest, or maybe it's even the thing that like makes you feel good. Like you can help them and go like, I did a good thing today, like, and that's it. And then you move on. But 
how do we give strategically? Giving strategically means that instead of focusing exactly on what the person is wanting or what they're saying that they need, you're prayerfully asking God to show you what they actually need. Because a lot of times what people need or what they think they need and what God wants them to have are two wildly different things. And so we have to give strategically. So an example of that in the book of Acts Peter and John do this really, really well. So one day they're walking into the temple gates and there's this guy who's, who's always there. He's lame, he can't walk and he's always asking for money. Um, and every day people gave him money because they were giving him what he was asking for. He was saying, I need money. They gave him money and they went on about their day because they were doing what they thought was helping him. But when Peter and John came along, this is what happened. We're in Acts chapter three, starting in verse three. It says when he, so he is the, the lame man who's laying at the, the gates of the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Because this is what the beggar knew. If he asked loud enough for long enough, enough people were going to feel bad for him that they were going to give him some money and go on about their day and his needs were going to be met. He knew that if he just didn't give up, that he would get that money. Um, and I'm sure that whenever Peter was like, look at us, he was probably thinking, all right, like I'm, but he's actually noticing me. Um, he knew that if he relied on others, he thought that what he needed was going to be met. So he relied on people to carry him to the gates. He couldn't walk to the gates himself. He relied on people to carry him there. He relied on people to feel bad enough uh, to give him money, but nobody was actually thinking about what he needed. So let's think about this. What did the guy want? Money, he wanted money, that's easy. And what would have been easy to give him? Money, giving emotionally was easy. It's like, oh, okay, you need help, here you go, and like keep walking on your day. But Peter and John didn't respond emotionally. They responded strategically, because they looked at him, uh, and they were led by the Spirit, and through the power of God, they looked at him. And Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. And I'm sure in that moment, the guy was like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> what, what is, well, then why are you here? But... I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Man, I would love to see a miracle like that. I think that's incredible. Okay, so listen, what did they do? Instead of giving him a handout and going, here's a little bit of money for your cause, they gave him a hand up. It was different. A hand out is not the same as a hand up. It's very easy to give a hand out, but a hand up is gonna require more time, more faith, more effort. Sometimes it's more sacrifice um, and always it's way more prayer. That's what giving a hand up is going to be. But instead of giving someone what they want, we give them what God actually wants them to have. Because a lot of times what they're asking for is nothing compared to what God wants them to have. Because Ephesians says that God is capable of doing above, like more than we could ever even ask or imagine. So they don't even know what they're asking for and what they're missing out on. And we could be a part of, of bringing that to them, the, the abundantly more than they could ever imagine. We, God could use us to do that. So God, ask God to show us what he wants us to do and then act as you're led by the spirit. But know that going into that, 
people could get really frustrated by that. Like, because a lot of times people want what they want. If people want money, they want money. If people want your time, they want your time. And if you go, hey, I hear you, but like God is saying that like, this is how I'm gonna help you, they might push back. Like they might be going, if you really loved me, you would just come to dinner every night. Or if you really loved me, you would just help me with my car payment. Or if you really loved me, then you would tell me that you're, I'm doing a good job. But we need to say, because I love you, I'm not giving you what you want because God wants something more. And he's saying there's something more that you need. So instead of like when somebody comes to you and they're like, I just need $300 for my car payment. But you know that they've been sitting at home wearing their brand new Nikes and their Apple Watch playing Fortnite all day instead of working. And then they're asking you for money. Instead of helping them and continuing that situation, say, hey, listen, let me help you find a job. Let's get together let's write a resume let's find some places that you could go put your resume in and that way you're giving them a hand up instead of just a hand out or if somebody is at work I mentioned like a person at work or a friend that who's just like constantly asking for affirmation get them here get them here so that they can have a relationship with Jesus and they can know that their worth comes from who God says they are not who you say they are because the God of the universe thinks that they're incredible enough that he died for them so like that's who they need the affirmation from not us or the people who need your time they need your time they need your time it's another thing get them to church this is the body of Christ like we get to be with each other, get them someplace where they can find a community to belong to instead of just trying to meet that need by yourself. Because we can't just tell people what they want to hear. We need to pray and have the courage to tell them what they need to hear. Because if we continue to try and meet these needs that we were never designed to meet, a lot of times we end up getting it completely wrong. There was a guy, um, I heard a story of a pastor who heard that there was a family in his church who the dad had recently lost his job, like right at Christmas time. And so he went into pastor fix-it mode, which I get. He went into pastor fix-it mode and he and his wife were like, we're gonna cover Christmas for them. It's gonna be great. We're gonna get their kids all their favorite toys. We're gonna wrap them up real nice. We're gonna surprise them. It's gonna be awesome. And so they got, they did all of that. They got their amazing presents, beautifully wrapped. The kids freaked out. They were so excited. And then he looked and he saw the dad sitting on the couch with his head and his hands in shame. Because in that moment, that dad didn't act, he didn't need toys. He needed dignity. And that he didn't, the pastor didn't see that until that moment. So afterwards, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. he realized if I had taken a minute to pray for what they actually needed, I would have seen that they needed dignity. And I could have asked him what he could do around my house and say, oh my gosh, I need my living room painted. Can you paint it for me? And blessed him so that he could go and buy the presents for his kids. And so in that moment, because he didn't take the time to pray and strategically give, he just emotionally gave, it ended up, he had to go back and do some damage control with that guy. So it's easy to do what makes us feel good and to give emotionally, but it takes more time, effort, and risk to do the thing that God actually wants that person to have. So number one, we give strategically. We don't give them a hand out. We give them a hand up. Number two is we serve wisely. So how did Jesus care for people? Jesus loved extravagantly. He served selflessly. He gave outrageously. He did all of these things for a long time. And then he stopped. He got away by himself and he would recharge with God. 
That's what he did. It was, he did that his whole ministry. He would serve, recharge, serve, recharge, serve, recharge, because you can't pour out what you don't have in you. So that means if you want to keep giving out and you want to keep meeting needs that God leads you to meet, you have to stop and you have got to fill up. So this is how it's said in the New Testament in Mark chapter one. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And listen, as a mom, I know this feeling. If there, my other mom is in the room, you know. How dare mom try to go take a nap? Or how dare I try to just step into another room and breathe for a second? Or heaven forbid, I should need to use the restroom? with the door shut, because the second the door shuts, it's mom, 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 he said this, she did that, mom. I can be out in the room with them and they won't say a word, but the second that I go away by myself, everything goes wrong and life is just chaos in that moment. And I love that Jesus probably knew this because in the next moment, the verse goes on, Jesus is by himself trying to recharge. And it says, when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And it's like, yeah, I spent, you can ask Clint, I spent way too much time this week trying to find a picture because I know I have a picture. I can see the picture like of little fingers underneath my door. And it happened, I could, I should have taken a picture. He asked me if I did, it, it happened Friday. Oh, was it yesterday? I can't remember. One of the days I'm, I'm just, you know, in the bathroom, the door opens because we have like a sliding, the, the door opens. Hey, what time is snack? Okay, it's in 10 minutes. And so they shut the door three seconds later. What time of snack? I didn't listen. <laughs> and I'm like, 10 minutes. And then the next thing I hear, I just hear, they're just playing on the door, just right outside the door. And I was like, oh my gosh. It reminds me of uh, in Jurassic Park when the kids, like they get into the computer room and they're like, okay, we're good. And then they hear the velociraptors start, like they, they figured out how to open the doors, you know? Like I remember there was a point of time where our kids were too little to like turn um, doorknobs. And so I could just shut the door and know like I have a few minutes, but like we have far surpassed that. Like whenever Lucy learned to open the door, I was like, it's over. <laughs> That, that era is over. But, you know, sometimes you just, you have to unplug. Like, you, you have to unplug. And think about when you're on an airplane, what do they say? Hey, in case of a loss of air pressure, these masks are going to fall down. There's going to be oxygen running, yada, yada, yada. Before you help anybody else, get your mask on first. And if you have a kid with you, you better believe they're going to walk up to you and go, you put your mask on first. Like, they, they make eye contact with you after they've told the whole plane. Because if, if you don't have oxygen, you can't help anybody else. But it's the same thing in life. Like, if you are not healthy and in a place to be able to help people, then you're not, you're not going to be able to help people effectively. Um, so in the story, this principle is taught in the Bible. There's a story called the Good Samaritan. I never want to assume that everybody knows everything about the Bible. So a quick 20,000 foot overview is this guy is walking down the road. He gets beat up. He gets robbed on this really dangerous road. And two religious people walk past him. They look at him and they walk past him. And then the Samaritan comes up who should have been his enemy. That's another story for another time. But the Samaritan sees him and he decides that he's going to help him. So he bandages up his wound. He puts him on his donkey and then he walks the donkey into town and he takes him to an inn, like a hotel, gets him a room there. And then he goes to the innkeeper and goes, hey, this should cover it for a while. I'm going to go 
but I will come back and I'm going to help more. And so like Jesus doesn't go into details of where he went, but I think it's safe to assume that he went back to his normal life, back to his family, back to work, whatever it was, but he left to put himself in a position where he would be able to come back and help in a more effective way. That's the, that's what that means. Like this is very important. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. You cannot say yes often if you don't say no occasionally. I'm going to say it again for all the Enneagram twos in the room that are like, oh my gosh, la, 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 I don't hear you. <laughs> you cannot say yes often if you don't say no occasionally because it's not helping them when you're pouring from an empty cup. It's hurting you and them. We have to say no occasionally. So how do we help someone in need? <laughs> we give strategically and we serve wisely. So we're gonna prayerfully consider how we help people and then we're going to help them from a place of health because we have backed away and we've unplugged because we're gonna serve wisely. And third is we are going to trust completely. That means we're gonna say, listen, God, I've, I have prayerfully considered this. I've given strategically or not given, if you've told me not to give, whatever it is. And I'm doing it from a full cup. And after that, like, I trust you. I trust you with whatever happens because you are in control of what happens. Um, and you know why? Is because it's insulting and it's dangerous to think that you are the answer to someone else's problem, yeah. that you are the only answer. It's dishonoring to God to say that we're necessary to fix somebody else's problem because Jesus is the only answer. Like we're the delivery system. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but he's the power, he's the source, and we're just the conduit that gets the help to the people when he leads him there. But if you think that God needs you to fix everybody's problem, then your God is way too small. He does not need you. If you think that you're necessary in every single way, you might be short circuiting what God is doing in somebody else's lives. Like you might be cutting them off at the knees and they're not getting to learn the lessons because sometimes God sets up natural consequences. I said, sometimes there are always natural consequences to our actions. It's the law of the harvest. The Bible says in Galatians, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. So it's the law of the harvest. It's, it, in real life, it's that case too. Like if I planted a tomato seed, it would be ridiculous for me to think that I'm gonna be picking an apple in a few weeks. You know what I mean? Like that's just not how it works. You are going to harvest from the seeds that you sow. So if you are sowing bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, there are going to be consequences from that. And we have to learn that, but there's good news. The verse goes on to say, but those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So after we help prayerfully and strategically from a full cup, because we're serving wisely, we have to leave the consequences to God. In another parable that Jesus told, you see that something that's always been true. So in the story of the prodigal son, there's two sons and a dad. The younger son basically says like, hey, 
I don't really care about you. Like, I kind of just want my, my money, my inheritance. But like, since you're already here, you're not gonna die anytime soon. Can I just have my money now? Is that cool? And for whatever reason, the dad says, yeah, sure. So the younger son takes his inheritance and he goes out to the next city and he lives it up. He is partying, he's drinking, he's getting with all the ladies, he's doing all of this stuff and living a high life. And it's not like he took some of the money and like wisely invested it so that he could live off the returns. You know, he wasn't thinking about that. He was just living it up. And while he's doing this, you know that the father was praying for him every day. He was thinking about him every day. He was looking for him to return every day. The Bible says that. But what he was not doing was swooping in and rescuing him. He did not rescue him. He loved his son enough to let him live out the consequences of his decisions. And his decisions led him to being in a pig pen. Our kids Bible, whenever it reads to them, like we have the Jesus storybook Bible on our um, iPad and it'll read to them. And it says that he was eating piggy food and our kids think it's hilarious, but he was, he was eating the food, like the, the food that pigs were eating looked so good because he had no money to buy his own food. He's there with these pigs and he's like, he comes to his senses and he goes, even my dad's servants are treated better than this. Like they have it better off than this. I bet if I went back and I apologized to my dad that he might let me be a servant maybe, maybe he would forgive me. And so he decides to go and his dad has been watching for him every single day. And the Bible says that he hiked up his stuff. Like, I don't know what they call it, your gown, that's not a gown, but his dad hikes, he, he doesn't wait for his son to get to him. He's been watching for him every day. He sees his son coming, he hikes up his stuff and he runs to meet his son because him not rescuing his son didn't mean that he didn't love him. It didn't mean that he wasn't wanting the best for him. It meant that he had to learn his consequences. And when his son learned the consequences and learned the lesson from that and came back to him, the dad was ready because not rescuing somebody doesn't mean that you don't love them. Sometimes it's the most loving thing that you can do. I, um, I had to learn this from like the other side of it, like the not being rescued side of it, because if you guys know me or if you don't, I will just be an open book. I am not very, I'm very forgetful. I'm not very organized. And if you would believe it, it used to be worse. Like there probably, there was a season, probably the first like two months that we were meeting here, I would be going home every week because I forgot something like, oh gosh, I forgot. There was one time I just didn't edit and upload the kid video. Like there was nothing for kids. So I was like, oh, I gotta go do that. Like after I got to church, I remembered, but it used to be worse. So if you've seen that and you're like, man, she's really bad at that. I'm better, I'm better at it <laughs> because in middle school, um, once we started changing classes, like, that hit me and I was always forgetting things. And you know, this was when I would take a floppy disk to school and like put it on the computer and print out my paper. But like, if I forgot to print a paper at home or forgot the floppy disk at home and a paper was due, it was like, mom, except it was on the office phone because I didn't have a cell phone, like, please. So I had to go to the office. I had to call my mom and be like, mom, I forgot my paper. Can you please print it out and bring it? And she would, she would bring it to me. And then eventually she was like, no, I'm not going to because you have to learn. And it took getting a lot of zeros and some detentions because if you forgot stuff, you would have to sign the book. And after you signed the book three times, you would get a detention. But eventually I learned my lesson and I am a little bit better. But that's a really lighthearted way to talk about it. But it's true in more serious cases too. Like if somebody gets a scholarship and they go to college and they choose to party and to live it up and drink and it affects their grades and they lose 
lose their scholarship, it's not helping them to step in and save the day because they have to realize you can't live that way. Or if somebody is sleeping in or, you know, yeah, sleeping in, missing their alarm, being late to work, being their alarm clock or calling work and making an excuse or whatever, like that isn't helping them because they need to learn that you sleep in, you go, you don't go to work. There are consequences to that. Or the people who they charge up stuff on credit, like they go on these extravagant vacations and they buy the nicest, newest car and the designer clothes, and then they can't pay their rent because they're in so much debt. It's not helping them to pay their rent for them because rescuing is not always helping. I know it sounds cruel. Like I was thinking about this and I'm like, that's just, it sounds so mean, but sometimes it really is the most loving thing that you can do. And like sometimes, maybe even oftentimes it takes people hitting rock bottom to realize like what I'm doing isn't working. There has to be something else. There has to be a different way. And a lot of times that's how people come to know Jesus. Like they realize what I'm doing isn't working. There has to be something else. And they look for something and Jesus shows himself to them and they accept him. What could you be robbing people of by continuing to meet their need and continuing to rescue them? Like what if that's the way that Jesus wants to show himself to them? But there are times that God does want you to help, that God does want you to, to rescue somebody, but we have to, to help people out of a spirit of humility. We have to help people out of a spirit of humility because you can't walk in and go like, this is my project person. I help them a lot. Like, look at everything I've done for them. Because no, people are not projects that we help. They are people who we love. They are people created in the image of God. We love people because God loves us. It's important to, to operate in this system, like the, the spirit of humility, because one day you're gonna realize that you are in need too. We're all needy people. And I remember I went to Kenya with my dad in college and I remember being like, man, we're gonna help them. Like they live in these little one room huts with dirt floors. I remember there's a chicken around my feet. They're like, oh, that's dinner tonight. And I was like, okay, cool. Like on their couch. And it was just a, a different world. Um, and I remember thinking like, man, they need so much. I cannot wait to help them. And then looking around, seeing the contentment and the joy and the peace that these people had made me realize that there was some need in my life. And so if I had operated out of a sense of like arrogance and let me come and save the day, like I would have missed that. But if I had come in and gone, oh, woe is me. I cannot believe I ever thought that. Like I'm such a needy person. I would have missed it too because neither are true. What's true is that we get to meet people's needs and they get to meet our needs. And every time that happens, we're just pointing each other to Jesus again and again and again. You help, you point to Jesus. I get help, I point to Jesus. Like th that's what the body of Christ is for. So it says it this in Psalm 70, verse five. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my savior. O Lord, do not delay. So at any moment when I show up and I say, I'm here to meet your need. No, 
that's not right. I'm not meeting your need. I'm not your savior. I am not the source of your, your satisfaction. I am not the source of your um, finances. I'm not the source of any of this. I'm not your provider. God is your provider and I get to be a part of it. When he tells me to be a part of it, I get to do that. And we have to help out of a place of humility because odds are really good that the next day those people are gonna help me. Like it might be a word of encouragement that I needed to hear or just some life spoken into my spirit or even just the knowledge of like, I get to be a part of something bigger than myself. Like we are all broken and needy people and we can't experience God the same way individually as we can together. Like a personal relationship with Jesus is very important. Don't mishear me. That is the the ground floor of Christianity. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But the, the collective relationship with Jesus is just something different because we get to come together and we get to pray together and recognize like, hey, we're all broken and we're all needy and we get to go, we, we have access to the God of the universe to walk before his throne of grace and boldness together. And we get to ask God to meet our needs. However he chooses to do it, God gets to decide how he does it. We don't. But and listen, that is how people are going to see Jesus. People aren't going to look at our theology and be like, oh, they know if it's gonna be post-tribulation or pre-tribulation rapture, like that's cool. I wanna know Jesus. Or it's not gonna be our cool music. Man, they've got some really cool music. I wanna be a Christian. No, people are going to see us loving each other and meeting each other's needs and go, hey, there's something there. Jesus said that, he said it best. In John chapter 13, he said, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So we can give strategically, serve wisely, and trust completely, but if we're doing that in a spirit of arrogance or trying to make ourselves feel good, then we've missed the point and we've done it all wrong. We, we are not their answer. They are not your answer. Jesus is the answer. That's who is the answer. And whenever we help people or people to help us, we're pointing each other to Jesus again and again and again and again. And that's what it's about. That's what helping each other is about. Let's pray today, okay? Let's pray together. Y'all bow your heads. God, thank you for being the source that meets our needs. Thank you that that is not on our shoulders, God. We've, we put it there, God, but it's not on our shoulders. You do that and you use us. God, I pray that you open up our eyes to see the needs around us. And if you're in here today and this is, this is bringing somebody up to your mind, like somebody who's either been helping too much and you need wisdom on how to slow it down or how, what they really need, or maybe it's somebody that you know that you need to be helping, but you just haven't yet. Like, would you raise up your hand so that I can pray specifically for you? All right, God, thank you for working in our hearts today. Thank you for a church full of people who desire to help so that we can be your hands and feet, that we can be your conduit of your grace and your goodness and your provision. 
God, I pray that you give us hearts that break for things that break yours and eyes to see needs, um, even if they're not spoken, <laughs> even if we, we never actually hear them. God, open up our, our hearts to see things. And God, I pray that we um, allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit, God, that when we want to do things that are good, that line up with Scripture, that we don't question them. We go, this is the Holy Spirit, because we aren't good. There is nothing good inside of us, but you are good. And Holy, the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and he leads us. Um, God, I pray that we humble ourselves and we recognize that we are all in need. Um, help us love in a way that shows a lost and broken and hurting world um, that we we get to serve you, God, that they see that there is something else, there's something different. Uh, and if you're in here today and you're seeing that you are in spiritual need, you're realizing that something's missing inside of you, something that there's something that, that no high, no party, no relationship, no possession, no amount of money, no experience, it's never gonna fill. Because what's missing is a relationship with the one who created you and loves you so much that he died for a relationship with you. Jesus came and died for us to have a relationship with God because we never could have it before him. Sin separates us from God, but when we ask Jesus to be in controls of our, our lives and we give our lives to him, our sins are forgiven so that we get to have access to God and your circumstances don't change, but your hope and your eternity does. So if that's you today, you can just say this prayer with me. And remember, it's not a magic formula. It is just a simple string of words together that will be, you'll get to start a relationship with Jesus. And you don't have to understand everything to understand your need for a savior. So pray with me. Dear God, please forgive my sins and make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you and show your love. Step in and take control of my life and in the best way I know how, I'll serve you. Thank you for dying for me. In your name we pray, amen.